Hey everybody, this is Steve Carroll, and this is the Ambasic Podcast. Today's episode is a special one titled, Public Service Announcement, Incidental Skin and Inhalation Exposure to Fentanyl is Not a Thing. In all seriousness, today we're going to discuss why incidental skin and inhalation exposure to fentanyl should not be a concern to anyone, first responders and cops and the lay public included. Myself and many other physicians are very frustrated by all the breathless media coverage on these, quote, incidents where first responders claim they are being harmed by incidental exposure to fentanyl. This is not a thing, and it has never been a thing, but let's go through all the evidence and arguments against why this should not be a concern for first responders and medical personnel. Just to be clear, I'm not doing this episode to discredit those in law enforcement, the fire service, EMS, or any other first responders. I was an EMTB in southeastern Pennsylvania for 10 years before starting my emergency medicine residency, so I know how tough your jobs are on a daily basis. First responders face danger every day, and they don't know when or where it's coming from. My goal with this is to bust some of the myths out there so that you can be safe, but also give you one less thing to worry about in your everyday job. Here's the summary up front if you just want to stop listening now. You cannot absorb fentanyl found in the drug supply on the street via incidental contact through exposure on your skin or by breathing it in. Full stop, no discussion. Yes, transdermal fentanyl patches exist that allow skin absorption, but it's a special formulation that doesn't apply to powdered fentanyl. Inhalation exposure from fentanyl can only happen if it's weaponized, which is an expensive and dangerous process that no street-level dealer is doing because it's unnecessary. Everything said about fentanyl applies to car fentanyl as well. Finally, fentanyl has been in the drug supply for decades. This is nothing new, and for decades we didn't have any problems with incidental exposure and didn't change what we did. The reason why I think there is hysteria is due to finding car fentanyl in the drug supply. Now let's start from the beginning. If you want to listen to the experts on this topic, the best place to look is the position statement by the American College of Medical Toxicology. I'll link their statement in the show notes, or you can find it by googling ACMT fentanyl. I'll be referencing this policy statement frequently, and it's worth a read as it succinctly and accurately presents all the information on this topic with evidence, not hysteria. Let's first start with a definition of incidental exposure. During this podcast, we will talk about extreme examples of exposure as a way of putting incidental exposure into context. Even in these extreme examples, the ability to be exposed to an amount of fentanyl enough to cause an overdose is just not there. So the risk is not even close to the same from incidental exposure where you're brushing powdered fentanyl off your skin or clothing or being in a room where a large amount of fentanyl is present, even if it's thrown up into the air. So when I say incidental exposures, I'm talking about common scenarios that first responders would be exposed to. Let's talk about the first concern, that you can be exposed to a significant amount of fentanyl by inhaling it during incidental exposure. This can't happen. Due to its chemical properties and vapor pressure, powdered fentanyl cannot be absorbed through the air. The particles are too big to result in a significant exposure by breathing it in. One of the frequent points of confusion is that if you Google for fentanyl inhalation, you come across a CDC website that talks about this topic and precautions to take. However, in the first sentence of that page, it explicitly states that this page is only about using fentanyl in a terrorist situation where it has been weaponized. Weaponization is a process where the particles of fentanyl are ground finely enough that they can be inhaled. No street-level fentanyl is being weaponized because it's an expensive, dangerous, and unnecessary process. The only documented case of fentanyl being weaponized was during the Moscow theater hostage crisis in 2002, where the Russian government pumped what is suspected to be weaponized car fentanyl 
and Remy Fentanyl into a theater where there were hostages being held in an attempt to subdue the hostage takers. Yes, people died from opioid exposure from the weaponized fentanyl analogs, but the key here was that it was weaponized, not regular fentanyl found in the drug supply. Let's go back to the weaponizing process. It's complicated, expensive, and unnecessary for street-level heroin. You don't need to weaponize fentanyl in order for it to be absorbed via the intravenous route or by snorting it. And snorting or smoking heroin with fentanyl results in prolonged contact of a large amount of fentanyl via a mucous membrane or by heating it, not the incidental exposure we are talking about where someone gets it on their skin or even your eyes when you aren't intentionally ingesting it. In factories where liquid fentanyl is made for healthcare purposes, and some may be aerosolized in the air as part of the process, workers do wear respiratory protection with masks, gloves, and gowns. However, even if you went into one of these factories completely unprotected, it would take 200 minutes or almost 3.5 hours for someone to absorb 100 micrograms of fentanyl through inhalation exposure. 100 micrograms of fentanyl is a common therapeutic dose for an adult patient when given relatively quickly as an IV push, not exposed over multiple hours. So 100 micrograms is not enough to cause an overdose, even in someone who's never had opiates before. So incidental exposure to aerosolized fentanyl or the drug being thrown up the air is just not an issue. So what about absorbing it through the skin? Don't we have fentanyl patches that allow this to happen? Fentanyl can be absorbed through the skin, but only when you're talking about fentanyl patches, because there's a specific technology in a fentanyl patch to allow slow absorption through the skin. Without this special formulation and patch technology, you cannot absorb a significant amount of fentanyl through the skin. Even if you tried to overdose on fentanyl patches, this is next to impossible. In a study cited in the AMCT position paper, if you cover the entire surface of both your palms with many fentanyl patches and let them sit there for 14 minutes, you would only absorb 100 micrograms of fentanyl or, once again, a therapeutic dose for the average size adult, nothing even close to being able to cause an overdose. So fentanyl being brushed on the skin momentarily or even sitting there is not a way you can be significantly exposed or overdose. In the show notes, I'll have a link to a video of an opioid activist who recorded himself putting powdered fentanyl and carfentanil on his bare skin and letting it sit there. Guess what happened? Nothing. No overdose, his body didn't quote, shut down, or anything like that. This is also a person who previously had issues with opioid addiction. So ask yourself, would someone risk their long-term sobriety of seven years by putting this on his skin if he thought there was any chance they would cause an exposure? Also, healthcare professionals use IV fentanyl in liquid form every day in hospitals across the world. Do you know what happens when a vial breaks or if we get it splashed on our skin? Nothing happens. No one dies and no one needs naloxone. We just clean it up. Also, let's think about this logically. If skin exposure from fentanyl was possible, why would anyone have to inject it to get high? Why would you go through the pain of injection or with serious infections like endocarditis, abscesses, or necrotizing fasciitis, or risk exposure to HIV and hepatitis from sharing needles? One response to this is that those who are addicted to opioids have built up a tolerance, so they won't show any effects from skin or inhalation exposure, but as we have just shown, that is not possible. Also, let's say you started by injecting fentanyl. Wouldn't you want to switch over to skin absorption if that was at all possible at some point? Now what about carfentanil? Carfentanil is a synthetic opioid similar to fentanyl, but more potent microgram per microgram. It was found in the drug supply a few years ago. I think that it caused all this hysteria to be born, but I'll talk about that in a minute. 
Because of the increased potency of carfentanil, it is not used in humans, and it's only used in veterinary medicine to sedate very large animals like elk and moose that weigh several tons. Everything I'm saying about skin and inhalation exposure to fentanyl applies to carfentanil as well. It is no different from fentanyl in regards to its inability to be absorbed through the skin and through inhalation. The only information we have on human exposure to carfentanil is from a single case report of a veterinarian who accidentally splashed some carfentanil into his eye. He felt tired and then a few minutes later loaded himself with naltrexone, which is a long-acting version of naloxone. However, the fact that he only felt a little tired after being exposed to carfentanil into his eye refutes this concept that incidental exposure to skin or even mucous membranes to fentanyl can cause immediate respiratory depression and unconsciousness or for, quote, your body to shut down. So that's the science on skin and inhalation exposure to fentanyl. Now let's take this as a logical step forward by giving some history. Even if you're skeptical of the science, let's acknowledge a single indisputable fact that fentanyl in the drug supply is nothing new. It has been there for decades. China White is heroin mixed with a fentanyl derivative that was first reported in 1976. 1976. Where was the concern about skin and inhalation exposure to fentanyl back then? The answer is that it didn't exist. This is a totally recent phenomenon, within the last two or three years. From my own experience, I ran EMS a lot in the early 2000s. Around 2001, I specifically remember that we went from carrying 2 milligrams of naloxone in our kits to 10 milligrams because we started seeing a resurgence of heroin laced with fentanyl in southeastern Pennsylvania. Did we do anything different before or after in regards to protecting ourselves from incidental exposure? Nope, nothing changed. No hazmat suits, we didn't carry naloxone to protect ourselves, nothing like that. So the next question is why did this hysteria begin? My theory is that it seemed to start once you saw reports of carfentanil in the drug supply. I think this, along with the rising opioid crisis, scared the crap out of people. When people saw these pictures of the tiny speck of carfentanil that could cause death in humans if it was injected, I think it really scared people. Then there was the lay media report of a cop in Connecticut who claimed to brush some powder off his uniform, then suddenly felt his body shutting down, in his words. He felt lightheaded and dizzy, and those by him claimed that he lost consciousness. However, none of these symptoms point to an opioid exposure. People who are having an opioid overdose will have respiratory depression, small pupils, and unconsciousness. Instead, what this cop likely experienced was a psychosomatic reaction, or perhaps the nocebo effect. The nocebo effect is the opposite of the placebo effect. The nocebo effect is where a person's mind causes them to be ill as a result of a harmless substance or intervention instead of them feeling better like the placebo effect. The cop believed that he was exposed to fentanyl and believed that this would harm him and his body took over from there. There was never any testing to confirm that he was actually exposed to fentanyl. I also linked to an article where a person who works frequently with opioids and has had them on his skin has tested himself and found to be negative on urine drug screen. So all these videos you see of cops panicking that they were exposed to fentanyl are not opioid exposures. They are panic reactions. They are panicking because we have done this to ourselves by scaring the crap out of people. In these videos, you see conscious and alert people asking to be given naloxone. If you can ask someone to give you naloxone, or if you can administer it to yourself, then you don't need it. There was one story from Texas where flyers espousing conspiracy theories were found on the windshields of cop cars. The flyer said that they had been laced with powdered fentanyl. 
One police officer started driving and felt lightheaded, so she drove herself to the ED, where she was given naloxone as a precaution. If you can drive yourself to the ED, you are not exposed to a significant amount of fentanyl or any opioid. Period. End of story. In fact, I will go one step further. If a first responder claims that they were incidentally exposed to fentanyl and they end up with a positive opioid test, they are likely using the excuse of incidental exposure to cover up for their own illicit use of opioids. Yet all these stories are breathlessly reported by the media to represent the dangers of incidental fentanyl contact and add to this growing narrative that this is a real danger to first responders when it's not. Finally, what if you say, Doc, I get it. The risk is low, but better safe than sorry, right? The answer here is no. It's not better safe than sorry, because it will cause people harm in the long run by being hesitant to treat overdose victims. We've already seen cases of treatments delayed due to concerns about being in the same room as fentanyl, and this can't happen. Even if you aren't wearing gloves, you can confidently provide emergency treatment to a person experiencing an opioid overdose. Additionally, can we also acknowledge the millions of dollars wasted on these huge hazmat responses and shutting down hospitals and prisons over concern for fentanyl exposure? Police departments are wasting money on fentanyl detectors, and I've even seen nitrile gloves marketed as fentanyl safe and being sold for a premium. This is misleading advertising because any nitrile glove will protect you from fentanyl, as will your skin, so you don't need to spend extra money on a special kind of nitrile glove. So to sum this up, skin inhalation exposure to fentanyl from incidental contact is not a thing. It was never a thing and never will be a thing. At this point, if you still believe it's possible, I don't know what to tell you, and you're pretty much going the round of anti-vaxxers and flat earthers in not believing the science and logic. So if you work in the medical field or law enforcement, go about your day with one less thing to worry about, because incidental exposure to fentanyl or carfentanyl is not something you need to be concerned with. I am happy to discuss this further on embasic.org or on Twitter. My handle is at embasic, but fair warning, I'm not going to entertain any trolling on this topic that doesn't present any honest questions or doesn't present any actual peer-reviewed evidence to the contrary of what I'm saying. I'm also not interested in hearing stories of some guy I knew almost died from being exposed to fentanyl on a call when he touched it and insisting that this happened and that I'm wrong. But please share this podcast far and wide so that we can get the word out that no one should be worried about incidental skin or inhalation exposure to fentanyl, carfentanyl, or any other opioid. So until next time, this is Steve Carroll for the Basic Podcast, signing off.